Peace, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Behold Pop Culture, the show where we take a look at some prominent people, figures, and events in pop culture today and in the past and try and see what lessons we could take away from them. Today is Saturday, February the 13th, and in the wake of the underwhelming Super Bowl, there's been a pretty quick turnaround as everyone's trying to focus on what the next big thing will be, what the other sports have going on. The news stories seem to have came and went. We saw Tom Brady throw the championship trophy from one boat to another and seemed to be celebrating more than everyone else on his team, but more quickly than I've at least experienced, the entire Super Bowl story seemed to fade away. And I'll choose to credit that to the fact that the Super Bowl was relatively a blowout on the side of the winners, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But we could transition right into the fact that my prediction on the podcast that the Kansas City Chiefs led by Patrick Mahomes would win in a confident fashion was quickly proven to be incorrect. As Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers came out striking, scoring a touchdown relatively early into the game, and the real MVP, in my opinion, of the entire Super Bowl should have been given to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, as they, for all intents and purposes, completely shut down the Kansas City offense. They could barely move the ball. The pressure was coming in so hot that Patrick Mahomes was running for his life the entire night. He didn't know what to do. And even with the pressure suffocating him as he's trying to escape and not run out of bounds, he continued to make impressive play after play after play. And some of that blame for sure has to fall on his receiving crew as there were moments where he put the ball right where he needed to and his receivers did not come through and make the catches that they would have needed to come back. So Tom Brady was able to run out the entire game and score relatively easily as the Kansas City defense seemed to be deflated and it led them to a multi-touchdown victory. It was one of the more pedestrian Super Bowls of the last decade. But given that the last four or five Super Bowls have been pretty entertaining, the world was due for a blowout one way or another. And with this victory, the talk of the town has been how should the sports world, not just football fans, how should the sports world view Tom Brady the quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, now that he has acquired seven Super Bowl rings, the most of any single player, let alone quarterback, and he's leading by multiple rings. So now he appears to be at bare minimum a consensus GOAT for the sport of football. He currently is carrying such a dominant legacy that it will be a tough act to follow, by which even Patrick Mahomes, who makes insane plays all season, every season, will have to seemingly do the impossible to get onto Tom Brady's level. Seven rings? 
personally, I think if he can get to five, he can start to be in that conversation. But seven, that's a steep hill. For comparison, the only other sports where that type of high number of excellence is put in with a great player is really Bill Russell in the sport of basketball. A very old player. He was there during the early days of the NBA back when there were very few teams in the league. He was able to get himself 11 rings. A record that simply will not be broken without a sheer amount of blind luck for a player. So with 11 rings, it would seem that he should be the GOAT. He has this resume that no one else can even come close to even the great Michael Jordan who for many is the unanimous greatest player in basketball history he only had six he really only had half of what Bill Russell had but we choose to evaluate players based on the context of their excellence so I've arrived at the decision to start to quantify how excellent a player is, how great their legacy truly should be viewed by a metric of relative greatness. And the way relative greatness should work is simple. How great is said player that you are evaluating the legacy of relative to the other great players, whether it's in the same position that they play or the entire sport in general? So in the case of Tom Brady, his relative greatness would be based off of how great is Tom Brady in comparison to the other great quarterbacks. And if his relative greatness to other quarterbacks is such a wide margin, such a massive gap, he may have an advantage in relative greatness over some of the best players in other respective sports. So I would say, for example, LeBron James is a phenomenal basketball player. Many believe that he's the greatest athlete that we've ever seen. But his relative greatness, compared to who many people believe is the next best player in NBA history, whether you believe that's Michael Jordan, whether you believe that LeBron is two and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is three. However you want to set it up, the gap between him and the next best player you'd be comparing him to is not as wide as the gap between Tom Brady and the next best quarterback. So LeBron James would lose in the metric of relative greatness. I hope that can kind of shed some light on how I want to view the situation. So based on relative greatness, Tom Brady has at bare minimum cemented himself as one of the greatest athletes of all time. The difference in terms of making him the greatest athlete of all time is when the metrics of, in the rawest term, athleticism comes in, which a LeBron James would be blowing Tom Brady out of the water in, and you compare the amount of greatness that is necessary relative to your sport by which players in sports that may be solo, like a swimming or a tennis, where Serena Williams has been phenomenal and has a nearly untouchable legacy as well, 
or a team sport where one player can have a massive impact, like a basketball where Kevin Durant or LeBron James can come to a team and completely change the look of a franchise. How do you compare that to a player like Tom Brady, where no matter how good he can be, with an awful team around him, he will barely win five games in the NFL? So with the inherent bias that aligns with your position within a sport, I will simply say that Tom Brady has become one of the greatest athletes of all time without a doubt. And his greatness relative to other people in his sport, when you compare him to the greatest in the sport of football, he has now, in my opinion, cemented his legacy as the GOAT of the NFL. He is the greatest football player to ever touch a football Game, set, match. And with the story, despite many great players showing up on the Super Bowl night, with the story being dominated by the discussion of Tom Brady's legacy, the NFL season that we have covered from beginning to end has officially wrapped up. The first complete season breakdown by Behold Pop culture and now we will move on to the nba season as it will dominate the sports section for bpc and i'm thankful that every player was able to make it out of the nfl season relatively healthy no crazy covid situations and we'll see if the other sports leagues can follow so in the nba the stories of the week have been players surging as they approach the midway point in the season. We're seeing Steph Curry look like a man unleashed as he's returning to MVP form, scoring 40 points at will, 50 points when he decides to, dominating the off-ball movement of his team and having what is considered in the basketball world as gravity, by which his mere presence on the court creates openings for everyone else on his team. So while the Warriors are still far from a finals contender, they are performing way above their means, largely as a result of Steph Curry playing out of his mind. Likewise, there's been other players who have stepped up because the opportunity has presented itself. One of those players is the most recent Number two draft pick in the NBA, LaMelo Ball. The Ball brother had plenty of hype and story and narratives built around him because of his father being notorious for having a loud mouth for speaking up for the talent of his children. Lonzo Ball, the oldest of his children, coming out of high school first, coming out of college, and having all of this built-up hype by his father. And... Being a relatively decent player in the NBA, but far from the legacy, from the expectations that were put on him to be the next Magic Johnson, quite frankly. So his little brother, who had withdrawn from high school to train in order to become a great basketball player, became somewhat of a beneficiary of that situation.
as the general hype on the Ball brother family died down, but people still believed in the talent of LaMelo Ball. So he would come into this season with much more freedom. He had the freedom to develop as a player, the freedom to be in a smaller market team and understand how the game is played at the highest level. And now LaMelo Ball is being presented the opportunity to start for his team. And he's been taking advantage of it. He already set the record for most threes by a Charlotte Hornet rookie. He scored 30 points in a game. His three-point shooting is looking much more efficient than his brother's was when he first came into the league. So now LaMelo Ball will be able to continue throughout the season and make his case for Rookie of the Year. And likewise, another player who seemed to have been sent out to die in the lost land of the Detroit Pistons that are trying to figure out what their next moves as a franchise are, Derrick Rose has arrived in New York. And with barely any training, barely enough time to get fully adjusted to the game plan for the New York Knicks, Derrick Rose has came in and scored 14 points in each of his first three games, but an efficient 14 points, he's been dishing out the ball, he's been moving very well on the court, very fluidly, and most importantly, he stepped into the mature role of being a mentor for the younger players on the team. So now, Emmanuel Quickly, who's becoming somewhat of his own New York phenom, is getting the mentorship of a former NBA MVP, a former all-time finisher, a former all-time athlete at the position. And Derrick Rose is stepping in not only to mentor him, but to mentor the rookie who was taken much earlier in Obi Toppin, and in general help this New York Knicks team potentially make a run at the NBA playoffs. And lastly, the Portland Trailblazers, who have been riddled with injury, with C.J. McCollum being out for a significant amount of time, Yusef Nurkic figuring out when he'll be able to return. Damian Lillard has done more of the same as he's used to being in situations where he needs to be the guy and step up and be able to put up the necessary points for his team to compete. But we're seeing the lesser-known players on the Blazers step up. The Anthony Simmonses, the Gary Trent Juniors, the, and this is a well-known name, Carmelo Anthony's are stepping into the positions that have opened up and delivering and allowing the Portland Trailblazers to maintain a spot as a mid-tier team in the Western Conference. The question has always been with the Blazers, do they have enough talent to win it all, though? So as they stay afloat, there's some serious questions that need to be asked about the roster construction and what the true ceiling of this team is. But it's always good to see some players, when the opportunities present themselves, to be stepping up and showing what they really have because it's those players that are the key to winning an NBA championship. It's never just the superstars. It's the random players that you get who may not even deserve minutes starting on any other team, but they step up and look like they've been holding back. And those are the players that get you to the promised land. We saw it with Contavious Caldwell-Pope last year. 
We've seen it with Matthew Della Vadova, another famous name. It's always those players that are the key to success in this league. But with that being said, that's the conclusion on the NBA side of things as we're getting closer and closer to the presumed all-star break. And we'll see whether or not that still takes place. On the music side of things, the story of the week has been the Judas and the Black Messiah soundtrack being released with the main single off of it that's garnering significant attention being the new track, What It Feels Like, with Jay-Z, who many regard to be one of the greatest artists in music history, let alone hip-hop history, and the late great Nipsey Hussle, who unfortunately met his demise at a relatively young age. And they both deliver some lyrical excellence on this track on a very smooth beat that seemed to match the activist energy that was put into the movie. Now, I haven't seen the movie myself yet, but they seem to embody what I envisioned after seeing the trailer for this film. So everyone's talking about how Jay-Z is 50 plus years old, still having better lyricism than most of the artists out today. But for me, the real story is just the fact that Jay-Z is still a relevant artist. He is the oldest relevant artist in hip-hop. And there's something to be said about that because this generation has been known to gravitate more towards the younger artists, the newer artists. And it's always nice to see the older guys getting the attention they deserve, the respect they deserve, whether it's a Jay-Z, a Nas, all of the legends who deserve their respect for paving the path for what is today the biggest genre of music. The industry on a whole has been holding tight to their streaming numbers and somewhat relying on these moments that take place where artists are emerging in the news because as the performances are still shut down due to the restrictions, a lot of these artists' entire sustenance is reliant on them being able to make records that can still play in people's homes now. So the slower delivery, the songs that make you think have been rising back into prominence. And it's good to see Jay-Z still be able to deliver some more mature bars. And of course, Nipsey Hussle continue to have his legacy being spoken about. And with that captivating the music industry for the week, there still is an APB out for Drake's new album, Certified Loverboy. He made an appearance during the Super Bowl as Drake from State Farm, if you're familiar with the now pretty well-known face of Jake from State Farm. Drake seems to be doing everything other than releasing the album, but that's just the media spin on things. I'm sure that he's tightening each and every piece of it to ensure that the album is perfect because he knows that there's thousands of people waiting for it to drop and as he's done before i wouldn't be surprised if it's a hey everyone this album is dropping tomorrow be ready and with his level of significance in the culture the entire music industry would shift in a moment's notice but as they figure out their own issues 
that they're dealing with with figuring out when is the right moment to drop. The film industry has been secretly thriving. Though the movies themselves have not been able to accrue the predicted profits that they had anticipated, they are still maintaining their relevance. So the question is no longer will movies still be a desirable thing, it's just about figuring out what the delivery will be. And we're now seeing that the show that's been taking over many people's timelines, WandaVision, has mastered the art of this. WandaVision is leading a resurgence, particularly among the younger audiences, where they've now gotten the Marvel fans, the WandaVision fans, to be waiting on their heels for each new episode every Friday. So after giving the precautionary message last podcast, I can now dive all the way in. So as I go in, I have to say, spoiler alert here, but in the new episode of WandaVision, we get more perspective on what seems to be taking place. The cameo from Quicksilver seemed to be not much more than more stress on Wanda as she's navigating this play world, this imaginary world where everything is being controlled. And while she's trying to make everything make sense to her, while she's trying to live a semi-normal life, Vision inches closer and closer to figuring out the truth. So in this episode, he reaches all the way to the end of the apparently hexagonal dome and is almost about to escape but he's caught by his presumed children and Wanda displays this power of hers as she at a moment's notice seemingly doubles the size of the dome absorbing everyone around and immediately transferring them into the desired version that she has, whether that's a sword agent being a clown, a dog being a toy, whatever you want to call it, she just showed the magnitude of her ability. And while I thought that this episode would be the one with answers, it just left me with more questions. Is this world entirely Wanda's creation? Because if that's the case, she should have full control over Vision seemingly being defiant. If she had total control, she should have been able to nip that in the bud and just immediately stop him from having those thoughts. But that doesn't seem the case. In addition, is Vision even alive? Because they still haven't showed how he would have acquired the Mind Stone, but he's displaying all the powers of the old vision just without the memories. He's able to snap people out of Wanda's control. He's able to fly. He's able to change his appearance. It's very confusing. Is Quicksilver even a real thing? Is he there? Are the people in the world really there? Because Vision should be dead. Quicksilver should be dead. So are they true physical manifestations Or is someone 
bringing people back to life. If it was just Wanda playing with them like dolls, I don't think Vision would have been able to go that far as to almost break out of the dome. And if Quicksilver and Vision had manufactured appearances, I don't think they would appear the way they look to the regular people. So this question just left me with more and more thoughts on it. And it really made me arrive at the main point that should be taken away from this, which is Wanda was doing absolutely nothing while the world was crumbling in the Avengers movies. If she could create this entire imaginary world, Thanos should have been done in a moment. She should have been able to just make him think he was a clown. I don't know what she was doing throwing objects at enemies when she could have just solved the whole problem in 0.5 seconds. So I'm going to need some answers here. And I anticipate that episode 7 will give me just that. So I hope that you watch along and as always my line is open for any discussions you may want to have. And lastly, in the gaming industry... The story has shifted from these next-gen consoles having phenomenal games, which they do, from these next-gen consoles having access to throwback games, which they do, to now the new story is the adaptation of these games into films. Now, I mentioned earlier, the film industry is getting ready for its own resurgence, as movies will likely be open back again by the end of the year. And the transition to streaming was for sure accelerated by the coronavirus conditions. So now they're announcing that the man who played the Mandalorian in the famous Star Wars series that is great in its own right has now been cast for a The Last of Us show. For those unfamiliar, The Last of Us is what I believe to be one of the greatest video games of all time. And the main reason why it's one of the greatest video games of all time is it has one of the best written stories for a video game of all time. The rest of its greatness lies within its immersion, the actual quality relative to other games at the moment, more technical gaming things, but what everyone walks away from the game thinking is wow, this was an amazing story told in the unique format that is gaming where I get to play through it as if I'm inside a movie. So now the transition seems to be seamless for them to transform it into its own series. Now, I don't know the specifics as to whether it will be exactly as the game was or an independent story of its own. But the fact that it's even in development is showing what appears to be a new arc for the gaming industry, which will be the adaptations into film. We saw recently the Sonic the Hedgehog movie come out, made after the famous Sonic the Hedgehog franchise. Many people are familiar with the Blue Crusader. They've already announced a second movie coming out as well, a sequel. And prior to that, a video game known as The Witcher had its own series that, though I haven't watched myself, I hear much great regard for, mostly due to the story and a great job by the casting and actors. So 
be on the lookout for any of your favorite video games potentially being adapted into films. And that's all I have to say for this week. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you taking your time out to listen to my podcast, get an update on what's going on and what I deem to be the four pillars of pop culture today. I hope you have a great week. Please let me know if there's anything that you think I can improve on to make the experience of listening to Behold Pop Culture a better audio journey for you. And with that being said, I will talk to you next week. This is Behold Pop Culture.